Today's scripture comes from the book of Luke, chapters 23, verses 32 and 39 through 43. Two others also, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. There's an old hymn, and it goes like this. They whipped me, and they stripped me, and they hung me on high, and they left me there on the cross to die. It's Lord of the Dance. And this is where we find ourselves this morning in this season of Lent, at the foot of the cross, standing, kneeling, clinging to every word that Jesus spoke, every statement that he said, every declaration as he breathes his last. As Pastor Emily began last week, in this season of Lent, we are looking at the final words from the cross. Father, forgive them, we heard last week, and this week we hear today. Today you will be with me in paradise. Will you pray with me? God of grace, God of glory, God of Lent, God of Easter, we come this morning to open our hearts to hear the words of your Son from the cross. As we rest in this morning, knowing that the promises from Jesus to the thief on the cross are the same promises for us here. Today you will be with me in paradise. Mm. God, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. God, you are our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. As the old hymn continues, Dance then wherever you may be. I am the Lord of the dance, said he, and I'll lead you all wherever you may be, and I'll lead you all in the... Some of you got it, right? That's good. Dance, said he. Encompassed in this hymn, we have the importance of faith, a relationship with Christ and following Christ, a promise to follow Christ, even to the cross, death on a cross. I'll lead you all, not just some of you, but all of you, no matter what you have done or not done, not because of who you are or who you are not. It doesn't matter, Jesus says, I'll lead you, follow me, and I'll lead you. Today, we're at the cross of Christ. Last week, Pastor Emily laid the foundation. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was arrested. Jesus was tried by both the religious establishment known as the Sanhedrin Council, which was made up of Pharisees and Sadducees and the high priests. And Jesus was also tried by the Roman government, Pilate and Herod. The Sanhedrins, they found Jesus guilty of blasphemy, while the Roman establishment found Jesus guilty of treason. For the Sanhedrins, the worst possible death sentence that they could provoke for blasphemy was stoning. But even their power was limited. They couldn't carry it out. Even if they issued a death sentence, they couldn't carry it out. Only the Romans could do that. 
The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the high priests had been trying to shut Jesus up for quite some time. Remember before they asked, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to work on the Sabbath? Is it, what in the law is the greatest commandment? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, they asked. Time and time again, the religious establishment tried to trap Jesus, tried to make him blaspheme in front of them. Jesus had challenged their authority, he broke their law, he rebelled against their establishment, and he associated with the unclean, right? The the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the others, even sinners. And now finally they got what they wanted. The high priest and the high council took Jesus to Pilate. There was no basis for their accusation, Pilate said. And so he sent Jesus to Herod because he was under his jurisdiction as a Galilean. And Herod wanted him to perform a miracle. But Jesus was silent. And so he sent him back to Pilate. Pilate, for a second time, says, I have found this man guilty of nothing, none of your charges against him. And now neither has Herod. I will have him flogged and then I will have him released. But the crowd was unwilling to accept Pilate's decision and demanded release to Barabbas instead. Barabbas, you might know, was a notorious prisoner, currently in prison for insurrection and murder, two crimes that were kind of similar to Jesus' alleged offenses. But the high religious council persisted. They wanted release to Barabbas and have Jesus dished out this punishment. Crucify him. Crucify him, they continued to say. In the traditional Jewish law, there were four main modes of capital punishment. There was burning and stoning and and decapitation and strangulation. Crucifixion wasn't even on their list. Crucifixion was a Roman vice of torture and execution. In this gruesome spectacle of crucifixion, it provided the most painful, most horrible, humiliating death imaginable. It wasn't just a common way and means of death. This type of death sentence was reserved for the folks who had done the government wrong, who had gone against the grain, who had stood up against the establishment. Maybe they committed evil, uh, civil disobedience or treason or insurrection. But here we are, Jesus being crucified by two criminals. We don't know much about them other than they are being crucified alongside Jesus. The Gospels give some glimpses, but still it's not much. All four of the Gospels mention that there are two criminals that are being crucified alongside Jesus. Matthew and Mark say that they were bandits, while John simply says that they were others. But here in the Gospel of Luke, we find that they're criminals, and they had a little bit of a conversation. A conversation between Jesus and the criminals on his left and the criminal on his right exerted a lot of energy. They had been whipped. They had been stripped. They had nails in their wrists and they had their feet tied with either rope or with nails dug into the crossbeam and they were nailed to the upright and lifted high in the air. Speaking was hard for somebody who was going to be crucified and exerted a lot of energy. So for anybody to speak as a crucified one, they're Words were few and far between. For these that hung near Jesus, there's no backstory. 
We don't know what they did or what they did not do. Perhaps they were revolutionaries, traitors against Rome. We don't know if they followed Jesus, if they knew about Jesus. We don't know if they listened as he taught or as they speculated and passed down through tradition. We don't know which one is on the left or which one is on the right. We don't know. But what we do know is this, that they were criminals, that they were bandits, that they were others, that they were sinners, that they were getting what they deserved in the eyes of Rome, that they had been tried, that they had been found guilty, and then they were having their sentence enacted and carried out, death by crucifixion. They kept folks in line, the Romans said. It was gruesome, public condemnation. One of the crucified ones vilified Jesus. They said, if you're really who everyone says that you are, save yourself and and save us too. It was a last-ditch effort, a last straw, an ultimate attempt at trying to beat the executioner and be set free. It was the hope that the scaffolding around you would break. It was the hope that the electricity would fail. It was the hope that the drugs would be so far out of date that they weren't any good. It was just the kind of thing that you might expect from a condemned man. Save us too. But the other, the other said to Jesus and to the people that were there, have you no reasoning? Have you no sense of what is right and what is wrong? This man was innocent. He didn't break any law. We, we were condemned justly. We are getting what we deserve. This man has done nothing wrong. Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. The other criminal's life was flashing before his eyes, rushing to its conclusion, and now he turned his hope to tomorrow, to wake up on the other side of a threshold between life and death. Jesus, remember me. Remember me was a loaded, loaded plea from the criminal at Jesus' side. As, as Richard Newhouse reminds us in Death on a Friday Afternoon, his book, Remember Me means help me, deliver me. In the Old Testament, when God said that he was going to remember somebody, he delivered them, saved them. From God remembering Noah in the flood to God remembering Abraham and the descendants, delivering them from slavery in Egypt, God, your people, remember them. Save us, save me. God, remember me, save me from the cross. The thief pleaded with Jesus, remember me. Deliver me from the place of the dead. Save me from the prison that I am destined for. As I turn to you from my cross, remember me. Remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. This is the kingdom that Jesus had come to usher in, the kingdom that was based on the very heart of God, the kingdom that takes the world's ways and turns them on their head, the kingdom that challenges the corrupt and oppressive systems of the world and the established religion, the kingdom where the least, the last, and the lost are made abundant and found and full, the kingdom that is based on including rather than excluding, the kingdom that is based on loving rather than judging, the kingdom that is based on drawing the circle wider rather than drawing the circle around those who think and love and think and act and smell like you. Jesus says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus turns his head to the repentant criminal and sees that this guy gets it. He understands it. After all, what does he have left to lose? Jesus responds today, you will be with me in paradise 
Not tomorrow, not in another setting, not in some idyllic heaven someplace, not even in a little while. Today, now, here, in this moment, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus didn't give him a list of prerequisites, right? You need to say this scripture, you need to believe this scripture, you need to say this prayer, you need to repeat after me. I want to make sure before I offer you salvation, you fully understand it. No! Jesus said, today... You will be with me in paradise. The Greek word used here for paradise is paradiso. It's a word that we so often mistake for for paradise, referring to heaven. Remember in the Garden of Eden, a place where things are just, a place where things are whole, a place where things are fair. That is the kingdom of God. That is paradise. And they are one and the same. The kingdom of God that Jesus came to usher in is paradise. Amen? Amen? Not here. Not with those who are being crucified on the cross we're going through. Jesus responds, today you will be with me in paradise. In other words, you have heard my call. I said, follow me, and you said yes. Today you accept me as Lord and are willing to stand with me and part of God's redeeming and reconciling and righteousness where love is so powerful. The forgiveness is offered to all, to you, to your family, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, everybody. Today you know how far God is willing to go to set you free, free the oppressed, to ensure that the hungry are fed, the naked are clothed, that the poor are cared for, that the sick are healed, that those who are considered the least and the last and the lost are made abundant and found and first. Today the systems of injustice are made just and the powers and principalities are overturned to rid the world of corruption and darkness. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Reverend Lloyd Prater writes, reflecting on this text, that this is the scandal of Christianity. That no matter what we have done, how much we have stolen, how many deaths we have been responsible for, no matter if our moment of death, it's too late to remedy the situation of any suffering we have caused. No matter how great our sin We can be forgiven if we truly acknowledge it and acknowledge it in faith. In 2005, an Amish community outside of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, made national news. It was brought into the national spotlight as they had to deal with the horror of a gunman opening up in an Amish school, killing five girls and wounding another five and ultimately taking his own life. The horrific tragedy produced an unimaginable amount of pain and trauma for any community, let alone a nonviolent community like that of the Amish. Within hours of the aftermath, an Amish community, this Amish community, demonstrated a deep, abounding love and witness to their faith. They reached out to the gunman's widow. They raised money. They brought the children and the widow food. They raised money for their bills. They offered words and hugs of forgiveness before the blood was dry on the schoolhouse floor. They wanted to see the world and show the world that they were determined to forgive and forget quickly. A father of one of the girls said, Our forgiveness was not only in our words, but it was in what we did. That same month, Another Amish family near my hometown endured tragedy as well. The Kaim family, who had supplied honey and maple syrup for my family's farm, were traveling home after 
a relative's birthday party, and they were in their buggies. And there was a car speeding towards them, leaving them with no way to get out of the way. The car was being driven by a drunk driver, and he had missed the first buggy and hit the buggy that was trailing a bit behind and destroyed it. In the devastating wreck, Isaac had lost three of his daughters, his wife, and his brother. And while the wounds of this horrific wreck were still fresh in their hearts, the Kime family reached out and the rest of the Amish community reached out and offered the, the, the driver an olive branch. Simply put, Isaac forgave the driver. The next time Isaac and his son came to our farm to deliver some maple syrup and honey, my dad expressed his deepest condolences and said, Isaac, I guess God asked you a question. How? How? Isaac said, it's the Christian thing to do. And then the next two things Isaac uttered, I will still never forget. Isaac said, we are called to forgive just as God has forgiven us. Look at the cross, Isaac said. The criminal on Jesus' side never repented, never asked for forgiveness. Jesus, remember me, is all that he said. And Christ gave him the promises of eternal life. Maybe that is your prayer during this season. Jesus, remember me. And when his response comes, let yourself soak in the abundance of that grace and that love, that generosity, knowing that those promises of eternal hope are true. Today, you are with me in paradise. Not because of what you've done or what you have not done, but because of what Christ is, who Christ is for each of us. So friends, let me encourage you to take a moment to breathe in the breath of God, to not only confess with our hearts, but to confess with all that we are and all that we have, to allow Christ's love and grace and mercy and forgiveness to go in the seams and the cracks and the crevices of our hearts, Hearing those words of Jesus, you are mine, today, now. Amen? Today, friends, look towards the cross, or maybe you have one around your neck, or maybe someone who comes across your path will be wearing one. And as you look towards those crosses, remind yourself and be reminded of the eternal promises of Christ, that there is forgiveness that there is love, that there is grace, that you have been claimed, that you have been forgiven, and that you have been called to follow. Amen.